Land, Water, Wildlife, a podcast produced by the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation, connecting you to nature. Thanks for listening to the fourth episode of our new podcast. I'm Barbara Lindstrom, Communications Director for the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation, better known as SCCF. In these times of teleworking, we're producing this podcast from our homes on our phones so that we can bring you conversations about the work we do to conserve and protect the coastal habitats and aquatic resources on Sanibel and Captiva and in the surrounding watershed. Today, SCCF bids farewell to a man who leaves quite a legacy on our islands for establishing a place of learning unlike any other on the planet. Since established in June of 2005, the Sanibel Sea School has earned a national reputation as an informal marine science education center where going barefoot is encouraged and getting in the water is where the best learning occurs. Inspired by their love of the ocean, their children and their desire to improve the ocean's future one person at a time, Bruce Neal and his wife, Evelyn, realized a lifelong dream when they opened the doors of the Sanibel Sea School 15 years ago. Bruce joins us today from his new home in San Jose, California, on his final day of employment with SCCF, which joined forces with the Sea School in January of this year. Thanks for joining our podcast, Bruce. Thank you for having me, Barbara. You've been giving us a glimpse of your new home and community in Facebook Live videos for the past uh, several Thursdays. Um, we have. Yes, We've had a lot of fun with that. It was very interesting. Yesterday, you were talking about the tree rings on a Monterey pine. That's correct. It seemed a little strange to uh, have my swan song, as it were, on Sanibel Sea School to talk about trees. However, we're all sequestered away from the ocean a little bit. That's right. And it's not the, imag- the way you imagined you would leave, I'm sure. Um, we certainly would love to have you back here on the island today and to be hosting an in-person send-off for you uh, to show our community's appreciation for what you and Evelyn have created here. Um, well, I'd love to do that, and maybe we can do that on some other day. That's what we're hoping for, too, to do an event in the fall or whenever the opportunity to socialize feels safe again. So, um, well, I know this COVID pandemic and staying safer at home has been especially challenging uh, for you. Um, you are a very social and active being. Yes, I am. I don't <laughs> sit still very well and I don't stay indoors very well. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, we have a tiny little backyard, um, and uh, I do have access to the ocean. Uh, Water sports are an essential activity in California, and so we have the ability to go out and paddle into the ocean. Oh, that's great. So you are able to, the beaches aren't closed, you're able to get out into the water. The beaches are technically closed, particularly during the middle of the day. It varies county to county, um, mm. but the you are allowed access to the ocean. So the oceans are open, the beaches are closed. Oh, well, that's, that's good for you, because I know you, you recently wrote in a column that you feel sometimes like you will explode into a million tiny fragments if you sit still too long. I do. <laughs> I do. And I, uh, in the last two weeks, at least, I have sort of traded 
charismatic megafauna a little bit. Uh, I'm paddling with harbor seals and sea lions rather than manatees and, and dolphins. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Well, let, let's go back to the roots of your the legacy you're leaving in our community when the idea for what would become the Sanibel Sea School began for you. I, I've interviewed you several times over the years for different publications and once on the air at WGCU during our NPR pledge drive. I, I don't know right. if you remember that. Yes. Absolutely. And that was a lot of fun. That was. And, and that was when I first heard you speak of the Ocean Tribe. And um, you invited everyone listening to join the tribe. I remember that. And that's when I knew that it was a very inclusive group, um, the, the Ocean Tribe. <laughs> well, I, I think it is. And, and I think one of the things that we really are trying to do uh, is to help everyone not invite them to be a part of the Ocean Tribe, but to help them realize they already are a mm. part of an ocean tribe. And we are connected on this planet by the ocean. We are an ocean planet. And I think we kind of forget that sometimes. And we just are sort of our goal is to remind people that we are a part of nature. Mm. And unfortunately, in our society, and, and I'm not going to go into the many varying reasons people sort of trot out there uh, for the separation from humans, from nature. But we have sort of forgotten that we are but a component of nature. We sort of created this giant wall and said, oh, there's humans and then there's nature. Hmm. And I don't think it's a very healthy way for people to go about life. I, I think we derive a lot of solace and and connectedness and centering from recognizing we are a part of the natural world. And you certainly live that way. Um, I also reached out to uh, your successors who are taking over the helm at Sanibel Sea School for some input on you to share. Um, and the new director, almost director, Nicole Finnicum, uh, who's been an educator and director of operations at the C School for seven years, said that she has never met anyone who loves the ocean more than you do. Um, she said the man practically lived in the ocean, always walking into work barefoot and dripping with salt water from either swimming, paddleboarding, fishing or canoeing. Is that is that part of your teaching by example? I, I think that part of it is, and, and I do believe, and one of the things that we've spent a lot of time empowering younger people uh, with is that we are all role models. We, we kind of are embarrassed about the fact that we copy other people for whatever reason. We, we, as we get older, we, we hide that we mimic other people's behavior. But when we really search down in our behavior patterns, we can see that we just mimic the people around us a lot. And so I think we should wear that proudly and recognize that we don't have a choice whether we are role models. We are role models if we're around people because they're going to mimic our behavior. The, the choice that we do have 
is do we want to be a good role model or a not so good role model? So in many ways, I, as an executive, as a community member, as a supervisor, I did want to, and still do, want to show people that you can do all of these things and still be very centered around nature. It doesn't take a whole lot. And, and in during this COVID uh, shelter in place, we created this online um, portal, sort of, the, this series called Nature Near You. And, and all you have to do is, is get out of the house a little bit and you're inundated with nature. You just have to stop and slow down just a bit and look around and notice it. So was it, did, were, did you grow up loving nature? Uh, you grew up in Miami, right? Uh, I did. I grew up in Miami. And then uh, as an adolescent, uh, I moved to Southern Georgia. Uh, I very much did. I grew up around the ocean. Um, I learned to swim at a very, very early age. I spent a lot of time uh, snorkeling in seagrass beds and coral reefs. Uh, and I've, I've just always been attracted to nature. I was an odd human, probably still I am a little bit of an oddity. Um, I still have on my desk the, the sign that I crafted at probably five or six. Um, I had a tadpole stand rather than a lemonade stand. <laughs> I uh, caught tadpoles and, and put them on a table and jars and sold them to the neighbors. Uh, I I, I'm sure they paid me my nickel and said, yeah, thank you very much. I'm not sure I want the tadpole. Um, so I, I have. I've, and I was also super fortunate uh, at the age of 18. I knew that I wanted to study animals and I wanted to, to go to graduate school. Um, so I, I've been driven by my passion to the ocean from a very early age. And I think one of the things that we that motivated us to first begin Sanibel Sea School is as a college professor, we realized that young people being taught in the field was transformative. It changes the way their brain engages with the subject. It is no longer theoretical or hypothetical. It's real. It's in their face. They can feel it, they can see it, they can taste it. However, I was teaching young adults and they were sort of self-selecting. They were coming to coral reefs because they had an interest in the ocean. And Evelyn and I were sitting having a conversation and, and in all likelihood, since most of our great ideas come from Evelyn, um, <laughs> she said, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this with really young kids mm. and get more of them connected to nature and have this, this switch flipped in their brain huh. by experiential education. Uh, and we said, yeah, that'd be super cool. We, we could do this with six-year-olds. See, there's no reason you can't do this. Most marine biology is not super complex. And a six-year-old can understand a lot of it. Now, is that when you were teaching it in the Turks and the Caicos at the Marine Center there that you... Um, That's correct. Mm -hmm. That's when I was teaching at the School for Field Studies um, and directing the Marine Lab there. Uh, and so we, we had this wonderful idea. And then we... we um, 
relationships and families are super complex and messy. We followed Evelyn's career back to Oregon and I uh, took a job as a, a visiting assistant professor at Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon. Um, and we sort of kept it on the back burner. And then we had an opportunity. We, we met a fabulous, um, one of the founders of Sanibel Sea School. Uh, and we bought a piece of land in Hawaii to build this um, on the island of Hawaii mm-hmm. in a magical place there. Um, and, and the piece of real estate that we bought didn't quite work out. There were some tensions with neighbors and we realized this is not going to be a viable place to have a school for young kids. So uh, at that point, we, um, we kind of just threw in the towel. We were having kids. We were both moving on different careers. And this was sort of a side hustle. Wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? Um, and uh, we just said, you know what? That was a really great idea, but, it, but it's not going to happen at the moment. Um, we stayed there a number of years. We had our two daughters, two of our daughters, uh, I decided to stay at home and raise our children uh, because we both had very fast careers and we wanted our kids to be engaged with us more than a caregiver. Uh, We followed Evelyn's career to New York. We are both from the East Coast. And as soon as we got to New York, we said, okay, where do we go to find warm ocean? <laughs> Sanibel Island. Let's go to Sanibel Island. And as soon as we, we got to Sanibel Island with our two young kids, we went, oh, this is a great place for that school that we were going to build in Hawaii seven years ago or whatever it was. And uh, we're very habitual creatures. We would come back to Sanibel two or three, four times a year. Um, kind of staying in the same little cottage. And every time we would enjoy it, we'd say, oh, we got to build this school. we got to build this school. It's a fabulous place for a school. Um, however, w- we're not funded people. We don't have any money to do this. There's not a trust fund behind us. We're just working Joes trying to figure out how to do this. Uh, but a seminal moment happened in the history of humanity, which changed a lot of us in many ways, and particularly those of us who are living in metropolitan New York City, 9-11. And all of a sudden, we realized life is uncertain. You should do the things that that are super important to you. Uh, And we sat down and, and said, why is it we're not doing this school? We've been talking about this school for a decade, why are we not doing it? Uh, and it was all about money. And so, um, uh, again, I'll go back to Evelyn, um, who said, you know what, we're going to turn around and be 75 years old. And our regret is going to be that we didn't do this school because we, we flirted with it for so long. So we did. We sold our house and packed up uh, I like to recall that we had nine heartbeats coming across the Sanibel Causeway with <laughs> fish and cats and rats and bunnies and children and um, bought a house and leased a little building, fabulous little building on Lagoon Drive um, and sort of scraped it out, bought a uh, used secondhand bus from the Miccosukee Nation mm. and 
started Sanibel City School. And so, uh, and, go ahead. and your kids were uh, five and eight when you started the C School. Is that right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2005. Yeah. So, so that was nice timing for your kids, too. It was, uh, and there was a little strategy behind that, but yes, it was nice time. They were headed either from kindergarten to the first grade or, you know, sort of, it was a logical time for our kids. And for all practical purposes, um, Sanibel Sea School has been fantastic for our family. We uh, were very immersed in it. Our kids have always worked in it. Um, my daughter, who is a now a junior in college um uh commented the other day that this was the first time in 15 years that she was not spending the summer in sanibel sea school wow. for essentially all practical purposes her entire life mm. um so uh it's been a, a real joy it's it's been fantastic we've had such great support from the community and so many people. So it was a, so when you uh, first brought the idea up to the community, um, it was pretty well received. Um, all in all, yes. Um, there was a gentleman who was the head of the planning commission at that time, Mike Valica, mm -hmm. uh, who was also a an environmental driver on Sanibel. Um, Mike Billheimer was on the, the planning board as well as Patty Sprinkle. And we did. Um, and uh, Phil Marks, uh, we had great support from those guys. They said, this is a super great idea. This is very in keeping with the Sanibel plan. This is something that ought to be done. So, so we did. We really, in many ways, had open arm support. And even though you had initially thought of Hawaii for the school, um, you know, I know my family, my parents first brought us to Sanibel in the 70s because of their love of the ocean. And um, it seems to be a very common factor for people who are drawn to these islands. Uh, it is. And, the, and one of the things that was instrumental for us is the, the city of Sanibel was founded for conservation reasons. And uh, we can feel, we can rest assured that the city of Sanibel is, is going to look like and remain sort of where it is now for the next several decades. We're not going to be surrounded by high rises. It's not going to be converted into a high density um, metropolitan spring break beach area. It will continue in the future to value nature and, and cater to people who want to do that. And, and part of your attraction to Hawaii, I remember you told me once in an interview was because the uh, stewardship was just such an ingrained part of the culture there. Uh, certainly that's something you've tried to um, bring more mindfulness to um, on Sanibel and Captiva. Do you, do you think that you've seen greater stewardship of mindset come about over your 15 years? Uh, I'd like to think that we have. Um, and I, I wouldn't take any credit for that, but I, I like to think that we have, and 
particularly one of the things that that, that the community uh, in larger sphere, kind of the global community, is that during the red tide outbreak of 2018 and the ensuing uh, economic challenges and the ensuing gubernatorial campaign, for really the first time, it became crystallized in many people's minds that the economy is directly tied to the health of our natural resources. Mm. And, and unfortunately, that will have to be the driver. This is absolutely true in Southwest Florida, that the economy of Southwest Florida is, is directly related to the quality of our natural resources. But it's also true everywhere we go. Human communities are supported by natural communities. And without healthy, vibrant natural communities, human communities will not flourish. And once we begin to recognize that in order to have healthy communities, we need a healthy natural resource base, then it's going to be a lot easier um, path to walk down to get people to embrace the importance of natural resources. Well, certainly Sanibel is a sanctuary island, as you mentioned, was a good fit for you in that regard. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so when um, another uh, big part of I would consider your legacy is um, in the the learning culture that you established was as much about enthusiastic um, teaching as it is about instilling a feeling of being a tribe bound by love of the ocean and and loving one another and um, teaching love and kindness. Uh, the word love comes up a lot in terms of what you believe in. Um, and, and maybe that's also what sets the Sanibel Sea School apart, you know, makes it unique. How, how was that received by families and campers when, when you first started out? I think it was a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> and you, you're absolutely right. Uh, love does come up very often. And, and we have been very strategic about what we're doing um, and, and lucky. But we recognize our mission is to improve the ocean's future one person at a time. And that's a lot of words, mm -hmm. relatively, that they were uh, a hard-earned small group of words. But improve the ocean's future one person at a time. In essence, what we want is to allow kids to fall in love with the ocean. And when we began to think, okay, we want to allow kids the opportunity to fall in love, the very first step is that we have to show them love. We have to love these kids and we have to love them in the presence of the ocean. So it, the, the currency of this institution is about love. And Kids are fabulous little creatures that are underestimated so often. And in order, I mean, let's face it, most of what we know about the ocean is available on our phones. 
we don't really need anybody to teach us about the ocean. All we need is a, is a cell phone and, and a search engine like Wikipedia. And we can find out just about every fact there is about the ocean. However, if we want people to absolutely conserve and to gain the largest benefit from nature, the first step is that they have to recognize that nature has an emotional attraction to them. And we can't do that in a sterilized world. So we have to love them first. And uh, young kids, we have a lot of, of fabulous young instructors. <clears throat> and, and it's hard to marshal young kids in the ocean. They're excited. They're energetic. They're going <laughs> everywhere. And the concept of sort of sit down and, and do as you're told doesn't work. And that's the beauty of it for kids like me that explode if they sit down. <laughs> it's like, let's just all go out there and, and do all these crazy things. And if you allow them to do that and you demonstrate to them that you care about them as individuals, that you acknowledge they have value and that you love them and then just sprinkle a few facts about the ocean it's just the secret sauce and they will follow you to the end of the earth once they recognize you care about them. We spend a lot of time, one of the, I think our, our best programs is our counselor and training program, teaching young leaders. Mm. Uh, and we, we stumbled onto this. Uh, we had a camp for six to 13 year olds. And after about two summers, a lot of our parents circled back and said, hey, my kid turned 13, what are you gonna do for it? Cause we're not through with this. <laughs> and we said, oh, huh, we never really thought about that. Why don't we make them counselors in training? We'll slap a, a, a staff shirt on them and they'll help. And the parents said, great, perfect, here they are. <laughs> so. These young kids that we knew, we said, okay, now you're going to help us leaders. You're a counselor in training. All of a sudden, you turn around, and these young kids who you've known for years are the most dictatorial, unpleasant humans on the face of the planet. Huh. And, you're, and you're like, where did that come from? And they said, well, they, I'm supposed to be a leader. Mm. And we realized very rapidly, nobody's ever taught a 13-year-old how to be an effective leader. And... So what we had to tell these kids was, if you want seven-year-olds to listen to you, you have to love them. Mm. You, you have to let them know that you really like them and that you're interested in them. And then they'll do whatever you ask them to do. But if you just yell at them loudly, they just won't like you. They, <laughs> they still won't listen to you, but they won't like you. <laughs> Um, and so it kind of trickled up from that to recognize that we are an institution of love. And oddly enough, love is the four letter word. We're all uncomfortable telling one another we love each other. And in order for us to be more humane, we need to be, have that little bit of vulnerability and, and, Fairly quickly, young kids go there. 
And so it's not uncommon at all to hear our 24-year-old teachers and our seven-year-olds exchanging proclamations of I love you. And, and and where did that come from? Was that you and Evelyn? Um, that that was very organic. It came from from your household, from you two. It it did. It, it came from, <laughs> and and it sort of came from the recognition. There was a a little bit of functionality to it that the best way to get these kids to listen to do what we want to do is to love them, just to kind of parent them in a loving, wonderful way. And so it, it, it wasn't organic. And then it got to be part of the, the secret sauce. So it's part of the recipe of Sanibel Sea School. It's written in all of our instruction manuals and, and you know, how we move forward. And, you know, it's a funny thing in the world when, when we're afraid to tell one another we love each other. That... Yes. And, and um, then as you expanded your scope to <clears throat> all ages, you, you know, you developed the week long sessions, adventure camps, and even adult programs. Uh, how did, how did you, how did the older folks respond to this um, loving the ocean? Did they seem as open to it as the kids? They absolutely do. And I, I think what happens with adults is sometimes we have to remind them that they love the ocean. They used to love the ocean. They got busy in their lives. They made money. They paid taxes. They had grandchildren. You know, they got that busy adult thing going on. Um, and we kind of have to remind them. And when, I, I love teaching adults. It's a fabulous uh, <laughs> role to play um, because adults come to a course, a class, an experience with an enormous amount of knowledge. But it may be knowledge somewhere else. And as instructors, our job is to weave what they know with what they may not know about the ocean and connect them. And it's so fabulous to watch adults who are who might have an MBA or a, a, a law degree or an MD connect some of the dots that they've had throughout their life through their education through their experience and and become reunited with the forces of nature so uh adults have been fantastic they've, they've just been a super joy to do um and and they are particularly the older ones um they're okay with with us telling i love you they're, they circle around. And, and I, I don't know if I've become more calloused to people's hesitation, but I think the world is becoming more accepting of hearing that I love you. Hmm. It, it used to be sort of one of those things that, that you can only say to your wife or your husband or your lover or your child or your mate or your grandmother. Um but now I, I, I think we're becoming a more loving world of acknowledging that I do have an emotional component of my being that I'm willing to share with you. We may not disagree, 
but I respect you and I, I, it's hard to come by a better word than love. I, I love you. I have that. Well, it's a beautiful concept. And, and it, I think that you also instilled that in your iconic leadership style. Um, you, you believe in giving everyone a voice and a role at the C-School and ran it as a slightly inverted flat organization with the management at the bottom, supporting what the, what the staff need to achieve their mission, um, to teach the love and understanding. So uh, how did that work for you? When you, <clears throat> well, it was a bit of an evolution. I'm not sure that I was as uh, a good a manager uh, when I started as when I finished, um, which is a good sign. I learned something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, I think I think managers are best. I think managers execute their jobs the very best when they hire good people and give them the resources they need and get out of their way. Um, well, one of the things that, that we have hired traditionally, very young people, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is that they, it's a young person's job teaching young children out in the ocean. It's a lot of physical work, it's, a, it's hard work, it takes a lot of demanding stuff. Uh, and kids, the, the clientele, the seven to 15 year olds relate better to young people than to older people. But I think one of the things that we came to and I personally did is um, one of the roles of the institution, Sanibel Sea School, it is a responsibility to the young people that work there to helping them be better at whatever they do in their life. And so we immediately first thought, okay, well, we have clients and our responsibility is to our eight-year-old clients and, and all of the people that work there, they just work there, we pay them. But uh, we came to the realization that we need to be a growing institution and focus on how young people can become better at what they're doing. And indeed all of us. That ought to be all of our jobs uh, description in every institution is executing the mission of the institution while promoting the individual growth of all the employees to their mm -hmm. maximum capabilities. Um, and I think we all have to just relax a little bit and let each other make mistakes and mm -hmm. live with them and learn from them. And and you um, also hire these young people, but who are who are quite well educated. Um, and and your moniker is Doc Bruce because you have a PhD. Um, is pursuing higher degrees something that you encouraged among staff? I know Nicole already had a master's in environmental studies, and she just finished a second master's degree in nonprofit management from the University of Central Florida. That's correct. And Sanibel Sea School paid for that uh, oh. tuition. Um, so our board was super supportive of that. Um, and uh, yes, I personally um, am supportive of education, but I'm, I'm also not an education snob. 
uh, I think you can do perfectly well in life without any hierarchical amount of education. Uh, it takes a little more work typically. Um, but a lot of our people we do send on to graduate school of one form or another. Some of them have gone back to get teaching certificates. Some of them have gone back to get counseling certificates. Several of them have gone on to get PhDs. Um, and we did. Once we sort of told them, look, part of our goal here is to grow you. And so when you begin to feel like you're not loving this job and it's not working exactly for you, don't hide it. Talk to me. Let's explore. Let us help you find a new place. Particularly for young people, there tends to be um, sort of a mistrust between the employee and, and the company. And I'm using COVID air quotes here. Um, uh, and I think we were able to pretty successfully tear that down and go, look, we are an institution. An institution is a group of individuals working together for a common goal. And each individual is important. And we are dedicated to your success in the short term and the long term. And once you open up that, that freedom to communicate with one another, you obliterate the fear of making a mistake. We've, we, I've had beautiful mentors in the Sanibel, many of them, and one of them in particular who served on the board for a long, long time, uh, accused me for years or pointed out to me that I was doing a fabulous job of failing forward. Huh. And, and initially <laughs> I was so insulted. I was like, what do you mean <laughs> I'm failing forward? And, and I've come to embrace it and we've come to share it a lot with people that, that we're gonna fail, but keep going. So what? That's one of the things that um, Shannon Stankin who began as an educator in 2017, uh, has a master's degree in professional science uh, with a focus on marine conservation. And she's going to share uh, with Nicole in your leadership role by heading up education. And what she had to say um, about one of the things that she appreciated so much about you is how hard you would push her and other staff and um, challenge them to reach their full potential um, but at the same time, you were there if they would fail and you were there to let them know that it was OK. And um, she said that that's that's a big lesson that she's excited to carry on. I'm, I'm wondering how that um, that concept of it being OK to fail influenced you and, and how you led your team um, through the COVID situation and not being able to do in-person camps since March. Well, I, you know, I think a lot of it is, and this starts with, with super young kids and things that I've learned from super young kids. Um, we are afraid to fail. Most of us, we don't like to fail. It's, and, and this is part of something that is inherent in the traditional educational system. Um, a lot of people, probably myself included, 
aren't well suited for traditional education. And when a student doesn't do, does not perform the way they are expected to in the educational system, we tell them you're a failure. You get an F grade for failure. And from an early age, they listen to us. They go, wow, I failed. That's terrible. I'm not so good. And so one of the things that we all recognize inherently when we're in our older stages of life is that we learn from failing. We very infrequently learn from success. What we really learn from is failing. And so uh, we encourage people to try new things and accept when you fail because you're moving forward. Learn from it, move on, try something else. Well, I think if, if, you know, if it had been documented that your team jumped on this virtual learning probably more quickly than, than any others, uh, as soon as they realized they weren't going to be able to teach kids in person, I think it was just about a week, a little over a week later that they started their virtual learning through Nature Near You. That's right. We totally, these people are absolutely a, a joy to work with. It's a fabulous team. They're totally motivated. They want to do something. And we realize we have the power of technology and we have our backyards. We can share that with people and 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 we knew parents and, and people of all ages, but they, they needed help. They needed just a little bit of something. Um, we also were very, very mobile and rapid after Hurricane Irma. We realized that all of the schools were being used as um, shelters and mm -hmm. all of the parents were going back to work and they need something to do with their kids and their kids were sitting in the dark and it was hot and uncomfortable. And so we essentially said, well, okay, we'll take anybody who wants to come. And we sent out an email. We didn't have any registration capabilities. We just pushed all the limbs out of the driveway and opened up Sanibel City School and said, bring your kids, we'll take them. Um, and it, it, it helped us realize that we are of service to the community and we, we need to be rapid in that response so that we can do that. So we just sat down on a Zoom call, uh, our whole team, and said, okay, what can we do? How can we, how can we make this happen? And we said, well, why, don't we, why don't we just poke around in our backyards and find stuff? We do love the ocean. It's a group of people that absolutely love the ocean, but it's a group of people that for the most part don't live on the ocean. And we have other interests. We love birds. We love plants. We love all kinds of different things. And, and the culture has bred a group of people that's like, sure, I'll try that. What's the worst? I will make a fool of myself mm -hmm. <laughs> in front of a thousand people. Who cares? I'll move forward. Um, and so they were they were gung ho, and they, they said, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's try it." And one of our um, fabulous educators is, uh, as a hobby, likes to do wood burning, 
And so we said, we need a logo for this thing. It's called Nature Near You. How can we get a logo? And she goes, I can make one. And the <laughs> next day she had a logo, uh, you know, burned in her piece of wood in her kitchen. Um, so it, it, it was fabulous. It was a great response. I'm super proud of those guys. I will take this moment to also point out that currently, I believe still, no, that's not true, uh, but very close. Uh, I am, was the only male employee of Sanibel Sea School uh, for the last 18 months or so. So this is a female-led team that are executing this. And I'm super proud that the leadership is female. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting team. We, we have another, I have one other male employee um, who's a young college age person who just came on for the summer. Um, but other than that, it is a group of very highly capable females running this organization and affecting this. It's really quite a dynamic group. And um, one of the things that Shannon said uh, that she appreciated most about you um, is, and and she thinks the whole staff does, is that uh, that you're very spontaneous, um, that you would have these great moments where you'd pull everyone together for bonding or for short teaching moments, and that you'd always be so excited to share something new that you had learned. So both Nicole and Shannon refer to you as a natural educator through and through. Is that how you see yourself? I think it is. I'm, I'm not very good at many things uh, in general, and I've come to be pretty comfortable with that um, <laughs> over time. Um, however, one of the things I, I am blessed by is an ability to convey to other people information and and it's kind of an interesting pathway of because everybody's brain works slightly differently so you can say something one way and it makes sense to a group of people and then you have to find seven other ways to say it to get to those last few people um and and i, I i've just been blessed with that capability to do that and uh in fact I pointed out a little bit on my, my most recent Facebook Live. I realized one of our neighbors had this big pine tree cut down. There was all this wood. <laughs> and we, Cal, one of our house inhabitants with us, and I said, oh, why don't we split some of this to make firewood for next year? Um, so we did. But then I began looking at it closely and realized that it died from bark beetles and had this fungus in it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I decided, well, that'd be super cool. We can talk to people about tree rings and bark beetles and all of this stuff. Uh, and it occurred to me when I was preparing that, that I could probably teach for six or eight hours about this tree. Not that I have that knowledge sitting in my head, but I have a little bit of knowledge that will drive me to learn more about that tree and that species of tree. Uh, and I think th the trick to most successful educators is that we are lifelong learners. We have a passion to learn. And 
that's what kind of gets us going is trying to understand. Yeah, and it seems like you're able to <laughs> take just about anything and just get so enthusiastic in the many layers of uh, nature and and exploring and, and sharing what you discover. Um, so it, it does seem that that you have that innate um, curiosity uh, that is um, something Nicole pointed out. She said that you're that you're very kid like in that way. And that's part of why you could relate so well to the kids um, because you would come into circle time and um, start weaving these stories that would just mesmerize the kids. I'm just, a, that, that's quite a gift. I'm just an old kid <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> yep. Who goes barefoot and likes to swim and um, I'm still going yes. barefoot in California. <laughs> Um, yeah, and Evelyn will point out many times, she just shakes her head like 12 year old boy. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's, there's disadvantages to that I, I don't sit well in buildings. Um, but I, I love to share passion and the living world is fascinating. And, and when we, and I shouldn't say just living, but the world surrounding us, because the geology is, is fascinating as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are all limited on how long we're here. And uh, why not fill it with joy? And one of the simplest, most beautiful, most productive pathways to joy is to find connections and connections among people and connections with people to nature and it's it's intellectual pursuit and when i say intellectual pursuit that makes it sound like a slide rule or a calculator and we're taking the square root of 17 and adding it to two-thirds and blah 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 um but it but that there is a joy in discovery and once we could take young kids and show them that you can, I believe young kids aren't as filtered. They love discovery mm -hmm. and they're not ashamed of it, but we kind of go through puberty and, and we get all refined and we, mm -hmm. we, we, we limit ourselves and we curtail our enthusiasm and, and we're embarrassed to share with others how much joy we get out of super simple things. And, it, and that seems to be a great shortcoming. We ought to just share that simple joy. Mm. Um, it, and that's something that you um, have instilled in, in Nicole and Shannon uh, for their leadership of the C-School moving forward. Absolutely. I'm sure. And how, so what are your hopes for the future of the C-School under these two um, shining uh, young women? I, I hope that they find great fulfillment in moving forward. And outside of that, I don't want I, I don't have expectations about what the institution ought to look like. I think they'll make mm -hmm. it better. And I hope that they 
they personally pass along their passion and fulfillment of creating a fabulous team. And outside of that, I don't care. Doesn't matter. Keep kids safe and love them. They also mm -hmm. are blessed to have the partnership of Ryan as a CEO uh, because mm -hmm. he values all of those same things. So they have that yes. great support. Um, so no, I don't. I don't have any expectations. I, and I, even if I did, and I truly don't, I wouldn't burden them with that. I don't have mm -hmm. it. I'm well, just standing back and watching, and I'm super excited. That's got to feel good. It, feel, it sounds like you have a great deal of trust and, um, you know, are handing off the baton in a way that that was what your best hopes might have been. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that, um, and I don't want to over-dramatize this, um, but when we're in the field with one another, it, they're harsh and dangerous environments. Um, and safety is our most important um, consideration. Uh, we are in an inherently dangerous environment with, with young children. Um, I've worked with, with those two people for a long time and many others. Uh, I would trust them with my life. I absolutely trust those two humans. They are capable. They're, they have good judgment. So, the, the trust issue is absolutely there. I just can't wait to see how they improve it. I think, uh, you know, since uh, we joined forces, uh, the Sanibel C-School and SCCF back in January, um, it's been fascinating to see some of the staff between both places come together and share their love of science and, and especially to see uh I think um, some of the Sea School staff enjoying being part of our sea turtle monitoring program this summer. It it just uh, warms warms the heart to see um, how well this this uh, joining of forces has has come to fruition and and how well it's serving our entire community here. Absolutely, I, I think Ryan and I suspected this, and and will only be validated um, that when you take two corporations that are for good and are mission driven and have high mission overlap the synergies you know you take one and one and add them together and get four um that that it really will be a positive thing i know that people were were super uh scared on a variety of levels um when we combine these businesses but I think both of us felt very strongly that this is a good thing and a right thing to do to make fewer numbers of businesses stronger and more capable of delivering on their mission. So I think everybody's excited about it. And certainly the C-School staff have been, but I, I also think that the, the herpetology staff have really enjoyed engaging <laughs> with, uh, you know, young ocean people. And, and so I, I think it will be a, a great amalgamation. There's a great love of science and a tremendous amount of knowledge, certainly between both or, you know, the combined organization that we have now. Um, plenty of conversations for podcasts to be had. Absolutely. Never run out of content. <laughs> 
That's right. So what about you, Bruce? What are your plans as you're in California to support your wife's uh, peak career experience? Um, um, well, that's, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't have plans. Um, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't sit still well. Um, I'm sure something else is coming down the path, but I, I intentionally did not try to pave the way beforehand. I, I sort of stayed focused on what I was doing. And, um, in the next two hours, I'm going to be relatively unemployed. Um, and <laughs> during a, a shelter in place, so it, it's an interesting transition. Um, but uh, there are only so many home projects I can do, so I, <laughs> I, I believe I will. Cont I, I have no idea. I, I, I know it will be about conservation, mm -hmm. I know it will be about nature and natural resources. Uh, there is a part of me that would like to um, mentor other not-for-profits, fledgling not-for-profits, to help mm. them uh, recognize some of the mistakes they're going to make and be brave and make them, make them uh, with a little bit of knowledge. Um, there's also a, a little bit of me that would love to go and work in the... Um, more corporate sector and, and mm. help larger corporations better fulfill their social and environmental responsibilities. That might involve wearing shoes, Bruce. Yeah, no, that, that would be a deal breaker. <laughs> <No>. okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, he, and here on the islands, you served on a number of different boards, the Island Water Association, you were on the board of uh, the refuge when you first arrived, weren't you? I was. Yeah, I mm -hmm. uh, I've served on uh, whew, I don't know six or seven different boards. Uh, some in Fort Myers, some uh, on Sanibel, uh, and I enjoy so board you, membership. So, do you think that's something you might get involved in in your new community? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it seems like a natural fit for you. Yeah, I have an um, enormous amount of experience, uh, particularly in the not-for-profit sector. Uh, I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, and uh, so it does seem like a natural fit that I could find some fledgling. And Sanibel Sea School's success, a portion of its success, a big portion of it, uh, is because experienced people came in and leaned in and served on our board and, and guided us and, and specifically helped guide me and, and sometimes curtail me and, and sometimes chastise me um, as they sought fit. Um, so not that I'm interested in going out and chastising anyone, but uh, it, you know, it takes a community to do this. And so mm -hmm. it, it may be my time to go to some of those not-for-profits and say, gee, let me help you. And do you have any um, <clears throat> hobbies or anything that you're, that you're pursuing? Have, have you been cooking more or well, doing crochet perhaps? <laughs> uh, well, there's a little embarrassment. I, I do sew a little bit. Um, oh, you do! Yeah. Oh, nice. So I, mm -hmm. I just uh, fabricated a set of uh, 
surfboard foam covers for to go on a surfboard rack on uh, my truck. Uh, oh. I like um, handy kind of work. So uh, along with Cal, our daughter's boyfriend who lives with us, uh, we have constructed and are finishing a deck on in our backyard. Um, I have been cooking more because most of the people that uh, live in our house are working full time. And so uh, as I have fewer and fewer responsibilities, I will cook more and more. That's not, uh, that's not something I'm terribly passionate about cooking. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, all of those things are fantastic. However, I don't think that that I can become a putterer. Uh, uh, I love to fly fish. I love to tie flies. I, I'm probably my most driving hobby, and it has been for years, is paddling. I paddle either an outrigger canoe or a stand-up paddleboard. And it is one of the most intimate ways that I can engage with the ocean. Um, and fortunately, I can do that here. And, so, um, and do you think, but I, <clears throat> will uh, Sanibel and Captiva play a part in your life moving forward as a perhaps a vacation destination? Absolutely. Um, our our both of our children and certainly the collegiate aged one is a Floridian. They are Floridians. They were raised in Florida. Uh, we've spent a giant amount of our lives in that community. We have great friends in that community. Um, so I, I'm certain that we will be back um, from well, time that's... to time. However, I'm, I'm as certain as I can be in the middle of right. the shelter. In place right. Thing, right. <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen anytime okay. too soon well thanks so much for uh the amazing yeah. legacy that you are leaving our community with um the sanibel sea school is uh it just feels like such a natural fit uh for our islands and we're very grateful well well thank you very much i appreciate that and thank you for being the mouthpiece that that's so our that articulates so well so many of the things that uh, we do to this community. Um, it's a giant role that you play, and you've done a, a fabulous job over many years of shaping the oh, community thanks, of Bruce. Southwest Florida. Um, and, yeah, and um, we welcome. wish you Thank luck you. Uh, in um, you know deriving your future as a retiree, however that should play out. And the SCCF family very much looks forward to the time when we can celebrate you in person and give you the hugs and the send-off that you deserve. Thank you. I'd love to have the hugs, but let's celebrate Sanibel's oh, School of Nature and not There me. you go. We'll okay, well, that's together. very gracious. All right. Thank Super. you, Bruce, and thanks, thanks to everyone. Thank you. Keep and thanks to everyone for listening to uh, Land, Water, Wildlife. SCCF's podcast, Connecting You to Nature.